The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Motor Bunny, the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator that offers fabulous creative sexual experiences. We use it and it rotates, it vibrates, and it delivers mind-blowing orgasms. Enjoy Motor Bunny as your favorite sex toy. When you order the Motor Bunny, multiple attachments are included along with the link controller, which allows wireless control from anywhere. Motor Bunny is the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator on earth. Use the link in the show notes and spice up your sex life with a Motor Bunny. You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour, a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra, and my pronouns are she, hers, and we. I'm Safa Master, and my pronouns are him, his, and we. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers. Okay, what are we drinking today? We're having a Southern Comfort Manhattan. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like I've said for the last few weeks, I've been going through our liquor cabinet and using up those obscure liqueurs that we just won't really have in our cabinet. Right. You know, if we... Not our flavor. If we need it... For something. We can get a little bottle. We'll get a little bottle or something like that, but we don't need to have a full bottle. So I'm being imaginative on trying to find actual cocktails that will use up those liqueurs in new ways, you know, because we've already, we bought them originally for the traditional ways, like Alabama Slammer and those kind of things. And so now I'm being imaginative. And so this is pretty easy recipe. It's two ounces of Southern Comfort, an ounce of sweet vermouth. And then two shakes of Angostura bitters served with cherries. All right. Let's see and then, you know, you shake and serve it straight up. It doesn't have a very powerful aroma. Mm-mm. It's real mild. It's really mild. It's got a nice orange flavor. That's the that's the Southern Comfort. Southern Comfort. That's I don't the, think you taste that as much when you have Southern Comfort in other ways. Well, you know, this is a very balanced drink. It is very balanced. It's good. So I like it. Yeah. It's deceiving mm-hmm. because it is really smooth. Mm-hmm. So it's not smooth like hard alcohol, smooth like it's really ha. Ah, it's actually. It's delicious. Yeah, deceiving. It's a good drink. It's a good drink. So yeah. be, beware. This is, can be kicking on your ass, I'm sure. I don't think I've ever enjoyed Southern Comfort before. <laughs> well, maybe now's the time. And, and this yeah. is neat to be able to find these uh, kind of eclectic cocktails. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's kind of, I play, I make it a game. I haven't bought mixers in For a long ages. time right. on purpose to force my hand on, try to find a recipe that just uses what we have. Yeah. And I think I won on this one. This is a good one. Today's conversation is brought to you by WeMinder a behavior chart app for kinky couples like us. Learn more at weminder.app. Today we have Miss Kim Rubb from London. Yay! You know, what's interesting is it seems like there's a lot of, or a lot more acceptance of pro-doms in London. We get, 
way more conversations with pro doms in London than we do here. Yeah, I don't for know, sure. I don't know why that is. It's interesting. But Ms. Mm-hmm. Kimrab, you've got a ton of experience. So welcome to the conversation. We're delighted that you're here. No, thank you for having me. Pleasure. And we always begin our conversation by inviting you to share your journey in sexuality. So how did you discover yourself as a sexual creature and how did that evolve for you over time? I think discovering myself as the sexual creature I know to be myself now didn't happen until I was 28 when I discovered the fetish scene. So prior to that, it was kind of just a very normal sexual existence. But when I found the fetish scene, yeah, everything changed. It was, uh, it was an awakening, shall we say. And that was a long time ago, a very long time ago. Well, I'm curious about how you discovered yourself both as a sexual creature to begin with, and then how that evolved through the fetish scene into what you're up to now. Well, I went to my very first fetish club in 1988, and I had previously met a dominatrix transvestite in San Francisco whilst I was there visiting a friend. And we followed the the transvestites into a bar and uh, ended up talking to them. And my friend who lived in San Francisco remained friends with the dominatrix transvestite. And when she was coming over to London, my friend rang me on the landline. Yes, it was that long ago and said, Kay's coming over, can I give her your number? And Kay came over and called me and took me to a fetish club. So that was quite an experience for times when there was no internet. So I, you, back then you either knew about fetish BDSM, bondage, all of that things, or you didn't. And I had no clue. I'd not heard of it. So it was uh, interesting because I was on a complete voyage of discovery and I was terrified. (laughs) Yeah, my first night at a fetish club was a scary prospect. But after I'd been there about an hour, I thoroughly enjoyed it and decided that I wanted to come back. And so were you pulled into the world of fetish on the dom side or on the sub side? Or were you more interested as a switch? Or how did it occur to you? Well, neither. So um, when I first found the fetish scene, It was very much about being a fetishist. So I enjoyed the clothing, the rubber, the leather, the PVC, the high heels, the thigh boots, the corsets, the stockings. It was all of that kind of visual thing that attracted me and aroused my attention. So I was a fetishist. And of course, a fetish is an habitual erotic response to an inanimate object. So that was my first sexual encounter was just the fact that I was just loved the look of it. And so how did that evolve into you becoming involved on the DS side of things? Okay, so it's a very long history. And I'm in my 34th year since that very first night in a fetish club. So nearly three and a half decades. (laughs) It's been quite a journey. So I was involved in clubbing going to clubs, enjoying myself, having sexual encounters. And then six years in, I decided to start my own fetish club. So my first fetish club ran for two years and it was called the Rubber Nipple Club. 
um, and it was every month. And then straight after I stopped doing that one, I started another fetish club and that ran for 20 years, every single month, 22 years, 264 consecutive monthly events without missing a, a single month. So it's been a voyage of discovery. And I think right back at the beginning, it was very much fetishist for me. But over the years, you do become involved in all of the different various aspects of it. So, you know, I'd get a boyfriend and we'd play kinky games or I'd have a life partner and we would enjoy much more group parties, maybe not swinging, but more kind of playing with other people. So it's been a gradual thing. And I certainly wasn't a, a big player a BDSM player years ago. It's something that probably was in the third decade of my journey. So maybe much more interested in it, say about 12, 14 years ago. So the previous 20 years, it's very weird to be saying that. It doesn't seem that long since I went to my first fetish club, but you always remember your first very vividly. But yeah, so it's been in the last really... 10, 12, 14 years that the BDSM side has become a lot bigger. And, and I think definitely when I started a mistress workshop 10 years ago. Well, that's really great. You know, you're the first person we've talked to who has started a fetish club. So I'm really curious because I'm sure others who listen to this are going to say, that's a great idea. How do I do it? So how does one set about starting a fetish club? Well, in the days of no mobile phones, no internet, you went to clubs and you made friends and you collected telephone numbers. You took a pen with you and you took a piece of paper or a small little black book. <laughs> and we all swapped telephone numbers and even addresses back in those days. So consequently, as I was so excited about finding the fetish scene, I was a bit of a girl about town. So I, I, you know, I would run about the club and just make friends with everybody. So when the time came that it was never my kind of intention to do it, but I had been the social secretary at university. So I was used to putting on events. So it kind of just I just kind of fell into it. It was like a natural progression because I already knew how to throw an event because I'd done it at university. So it all just fell into place. I was girl about town. I'd done it all before. A venue came available and I was equipped. So that's how I started my journey. But of course, it's, it's very different nowadays. You know, I do know people that start an event off the back of FetLife, for instance, albeit small. You know, back in the day, you, you kind of had to do the footwork and actually meet people and talk to them rather than be a keyboard warrior. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. So when you have a fetish club that lasts for 20 years. 22. Oh, yeah. So are there <laughs> regulars coming to hang out? Yeah, there are people that come every month. There are people that come infrequently. There are people that come for the first two years and you never see them again. There are people that come on year <laughs> 10, 11 and 12. I mean, you know, in and out. I mean, the, the amount of people that I've met through running a fetish club 
has just been incredible. And of course, back in the day, because it, Fetish was underground, you had two names. So you didn't tell people that you went to fetish clubs because it wasn't it wasn't known about and it was the dark underworld. So if you went, you know, under cloak and dagger to a, a fetish club event, you kind of didn't tell anybody. And you'd go there and you wouldn't divulge your real name. So everybody had more than one name. So it was it was a minefield of navigating, what's your name? You know, and the amount of people will say to me, oh, you remember me? I'm so-and-so, so-and-so. And I go, no, I'm sorry. Too many people. Too many people, too many years, too many events, 264 events. I have a question for you, because if we're talking about people fascinated with starting their own event, whether it's large or small, that sounds like they were large. So did you have a standard location or were you like a rave where you change locations all the time? Or how did you navigate that? Because anytime you're doing a fetish event, the local city officials get all a little high order on things. So how did you handle that? Okay, so in terms of London, so long as you went in the borough of Westminster, which was where all the Houses of Parliament and rich people live, they they didn't really mind. It wasn't, it's not illegal to have a fetish event. So not in this country anyway. It's illegal to run a disorderly house, which is a brothel. So if you are providing a fetish club that has sex in it as well, which of course fetish kind of really isn't, uh, although it's the waters have got muddied in recent years, then there was nothing that I was doing that was illegal. So, uh, so long as it wasn't in Westminster, where they didn't want any, you know, tourists to happen upon a club and be disgruntled by it, uh, they didn't really mind. And of course, Westminster is only the middle, right in the middle. You know, it's a borough. It's not the whole of London. So there was plenty of places to rent, more at I mean right at the beginning there wasn't so many places to rent for your night and then as times moved on there was more places and then as the industry started to change because London was changing and there was much more building new buildings then people who had a quirky little venue that they would rent to you then sold it on and made millions by letting a developer take over it. So that's how London's clubbing landscape has changed. And I actually wrote a blog about all the disappearing venues, uh, which I can send a link for you if you like, but it was it's just incredible how there used to be a few, then there was a lot, and then there was like none at all. Just been a contributing factor to why I've stopped that and the fact that I'm really old. So I can't remember the question was. <laughs> No, you answered it. The other thing, because it being in a different country, and I don't know what the rules are in depending on the state you're in in America, when you go to these types of yeah. parties or events, some are allowed alcohol, some are not. Where did you guys fall? Oh, it's it's just it's just like going to a nightclub, except everybody's wearing kinky gear. None of us are doing anything wrong. None of us are doing. We're just wearing kinky clothes and maybe slapping a few asses. So that's where it stands in England. The only thing that the uh, UK authorities do not want is you pay money to go into somewhere and you're having sex. That's a brothel. Exactly. And that's how I feel. But there are many places in the States where just being fetishized and walking around, whether there's alcohol or not, they get no, high I think, order. I think, 
I think in this country, it's putting a penis in a vagina that makes it sex. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to be so crude. It's all good. That's that's what a disorderly house is, and that's what a brothel is, where you're paying to go into somewhere and fuck. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. So as you're reading, I'm realizing that you've got this interesting perspective because you've been in the fetish scene for as long as you have. Yeah. You've seen a change quite dramatically. So what absolutely so the biggest change I think has been the internet and how accessible information is and how readily you don't need to fucking go anywhere (laughs) you don't need to go anywhere you know you can get your kicks sitting in front of your computer whereas back in the day there was no computers there was no internet there was a landline with a wire that was stuck in the wall and you had to go out I was talking to podophilia earlier on today and I said to him I said okay Imagine you wanted to look at some imagery of kinkiness, fetishism, BDSM, but there's no internet and there's no mobile phones. How would you go about it? Where would you find these images? And it's a difficult thing to answer when you've only ever been around that medium that allows you to see everything, literally everything. One so, of the things that I that I love about London is its proximity to Europe. How has the London kink scene been influenced by what's been going on in Paris, Berlin, wherever? We have the biggest fetish scene in the world. So maybe the question is for them <laughs> rather than us. Um, in, in France, for instance, you're not allowed to be a dominatrix. So it's against the law. In Spain and Italy, places like that, there are very few. I have a I have a house in Spain, which is near Barcelona. So there are very few clubs. There's one, I think, in Barcelona, and there's like a handful of dominatrix. So it's very small. But this country, we just seem to have cornered the market on everything perverted, with loads of clubs and loads of mistresses and low. There's, do you know, there's one thing that's really we don't really have a lot of, and that's workshops. I kind of seem to have cornered the market on that, which is fabulous for me. <laughs> and as I'm quite knowledgeable, then that's fabulous for everybody else. So that's great. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's really that's actually very interesting. We both were a little bit surprised when you said that you can't be a dominatrix in France. That seems surprising. It does seem surprising. And one of my oldest, dearest friends, Steve English, who used to own Damask in Amsterdam, moved to France. And last, was it last year? No, it was 2020. January 2020, he married a French dominatrix. And I said, wow, that's amazing. You can have your dungeon in the chateau because he moved to France and bought a chateau like you do. And she says, no, she says they would take it away from us if they found out that I was operating as a dominatrix from our home. Wow. I know. I was going, yeah, but you could just not tell anybody. She went, no, we can't do it. I'm, yeah, but you could just keep it all underground. And she was like, no, we can't take that chance. So, no, I do know because I've been told. (laughs) Wow. The other question that I'm curious about from your perspective, you know, I grew up in South Africa where there was corporal punishment in schools. And as a result, 
I have a caning fetish. So I'm curious, like the English have a big caning fetish, but what, what else sort of shows up for the English as their big sort of score fetish? Well, again, corporal punishment. I think we invented it, actually. I think we took it to, to South Africa. <laughs> like we colonized the world and took our evil ways of beating each other. <laughs> um, what else is it? I mean, I think the world over has a big anal fetish. And with the advent of the internet, so many younger boys don't look at it now as like some area that's just proclivation for a gay person. But they see the delight and joy when they're watching movies online normally. And there's lots of guys that are into anal play now. And what else do we like to do? I'm big on rubber, so I like rubber play. Let's hear more about that. Tell us about the, the world so of got, rubber. Yeah, so I've got a, a friend and slave coming round tomorrow. He actually builds my websites for me and looks after them. And he's totally into rubber. So he'll wear a rubber cat suit. He might wear rubber toe socks. I might put him in rubber sheath pants. And so he's got a rubber cock because the pants have got a rubber sheath in them. He'll wear a rubber hood, he'll wear a rubber gag, and then he's got zips that unzip at the nipples. So we can play with his nipples, we can play with his cock, you know, and it's just a, it's just a, it's just a fabulous medium for enjoying sex in a different way than a naked body. The sensory deprivation aspect of it is quite nice because you can change the hoods and hoods come in all different shapes and sizes and different zips and different pipes and blow up hoods and and rubber's just a, just a great muffler of sound so you put a hood on and the, and the sounds muffled straight away there's breathing tubes rubber plays really really good fun and of course you can do and I've got inflatable body bags so I blow air into the body bags and I've got a bag that looks like a sarcophagus so you blow it up and it looks like yeah like a sarcophagus with a hole for the face and a hole for the genitals <laughs> I, so, love <laughs> I love it though because also the way rubber is on the skin and how it heats the skin up as well as then if as you drag your like fingernails across the rubber it's a total different sensation yes it is it is and that kind of whole lubrication of it and the massaging qualities of how it slips and slides and yeah, you, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're into rubber, you see more delight in it. But I like to introduce it sometimes in a session to somebody that might be, yeah, maybe, I'll have a try. And it's probably sometimes not what they think. And sometimes I just use rubber on localized areas. So, so a, sh a piece of sheet rubber with talcum powder on it just slides over the skin in particular areas, nipples, cocks, balls. And it's just a most amazing sensation. So even if they don't go the whole nine yards and go for a cat suit or don't want to go in a body bag, whether it's a pump up one or a suck the air out one or just a sleep sack, then they might be interested in having the soft caress of a piece of latex dragged over their body or over specific areas. Love it. As long as we've got you... Talk a little bit about the workshops that you offer and how people can access them. Okay. So I have been doing my mistress workshop now for, this is my 10th year. Pre-COVID, I invited, I had 
monthly workshops in my studio and would have anywhere between, I would say six and 10 ladies each month. And it's just a nice group situation. The dynamic is a bit more exciting than a one-to-one. However, one-to-ones can be tailored to the needs. I had one yesterday and she wanted to know a little bit about electrics. She was thinking of buying some electrics equipment. So I showed her mine. So I can do that a little bit better. I can also do a Zoom, which is very handy because I can do workshops with somebody in Norway, which I've done during COVID, in America, in Spain, in Egypt. So yeah, that's been different because prior to COVID, I didn't do online. I kind of just was one track minded and just thought I wanted to meet people and invite them into my space. And But now I kind of like the online. I mean, you know, I can't wait to get back into the group situations again, because there's nothing better than a room full of women all being excited about a subject. And I teach with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of passion and a, quite a lot of fun as well. So I like to add amusing anecdotes and get them all impassioned by the subject rather than because I teach motivation and some formulas to get in where you want to go rather than there's a bum here's a hand hit it on the (laughs) I don't really teach much of that I teach women how to get off the sofa (laughs) and get doing it (laughs) and that's all as women need (laughs) just a little kick up the bum um because in such passion I know that they feel that too and then they can't wait to go home and have a little go (laughs) (laughs) how do people find your mistress workshops my website's called mistressworkshop.com so (laughs) does what it says on the tin so mistressworkshop.com but I also have a free page ladies only sometimes boys have got a bit of a tone deaf where it says ladies only so my only fans dot com forward slash mistress workshop is a free page for ladies only and if a boy if a boy drops himself on there i block him so don't even bother (laughs) it's for ladies it's i put a tip up every single day and it's free i just i've got a lot of knowledge and it's easy for me to do to put up a tip each day and uh, it might help somebody along the way. Obviously it's only fans. You've got to log your credit card on because if you don't log your credit card on, they'll just be full of spammers, but nothing gets authorized from it unless you press the button that says authorized payment. So you don't have anything to worry about by adding your credit card to only fans is what I wanted to say. But yeah, super helpful, super helpful. And I love the tips video thing. That's a That's a huge deal because whether a woman wants to be dominant or dominatrix or is just vanilla in her house, like you say, get off the couch. Yeah. It's tips, tips to help someone get into action. Absolutely. It really is. That's the first and foremost thing that I teach, you know, to motivational stuff. I'm a big motivational fan. Yes. Well, Miss Kimura, this has been really fascinating, really interesting. Love, love getting to know you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, that's a pleasure. I've loved every minute of it. It's my chosen specialist subject, something I know a lot about, me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's awesome. That's it for today. If you're interested in kinky relationship coaching, online domination, or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going, 
please visit our Patreon website at Lady Petra Playground. You can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers! Thank you.